Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Naked and Inside Out. Uh, it's Janine Toro here, so we're doing something a little different today. We're doing our first live stream. Um, I've been hearing from listeners sort of, you know, wanting to have maybe an audience set up or, you know, just seeing us in real life doing this or trying it out today. If you don't know about the podcast, we're an LGBT podcast that highlight people in the LGBT community doing some really interesting and exciting things. And really as a source of inspiration for you, our listeners. So today we have on Bibiana. So your bio is very long. <laughs> so oh, I'm no. going yes. so to do just a snippet of it, just to kind of... Um, there is a reduced version, but yeah. so go ahead, do your, do your version. Bibiana was born and raised in occupied Czechoslovakia. She trained as a semi-professional tennis player and studied mathematics at Harvard and Brown Universities subsequently receiving her BFA from Pratt Institute. From her earliest work, Bibiana has explored limitations of art in a multimedia art practice that includes photography, film, installation, sound, publishing, and sculpture. Also, you're the founder of Pickled Press and co-editor of Photophobia. <sighs> so, <laughs> that's a lot. I don't even know where to begin. And this, it's funny, almost every episode that I have, um, for some reason, everyone on the podcast is doing a lot of things, right? We're all wearing many hats, you know, affecting the community or just doing really creative things. So what I would like to know, just to start is you kind of, you were a professional tennis player and you also study mathematics. Like how did you transition to this more um, artistic career? Well, that's a loaded question. There are many answers to that. So, not professional. I was never on the tour. I quit in my mid-teens. So, I was kind of... I was headed for... Wait, you were a professional tennis player in your teens? No, I said not professional. Oh! oh. Right, semi. Semi, semi. That means you're, like, headed for the tour and you're playing, like, in the national tournaments and stuff. Got it, got it. Um, uh, It was not by desire. I was trained by... My parents, specifically by my father, it seems to be a thing in that sport. It, I mention it in my bio because the kind of rigor of training you have to undergo to achieve that has sort of reflected a lot of things that I've done after. So I can imagine that. So it was never my choice. I mean, I prefer sports that take me from point A to point B rather than run around in a circle. <laughs> so, uh, so um, I still very much understand the game, but you know, I haven't played in over twenty years. Wow. And but my love was science. I mean, I always wanted to be a scientist, and it kind of varied. You know, when I was much younger, like a little kid, I used to say, "Oh, I'm gonna like do research on big animals in Africa," and and then. And then I, in Czech Republic, you start physics in fifth grade. And I was like, whoa, I love physics. <laughs> and in then, fifth grade? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's totally different educational oh system. <laughs> oh, my God. You do physics and chemistry, you start in fifth. Wow. And I already had, because I was in a special school, I was already on my second foreign language in fifth. I started in three, third grade. Totally different. Not an overachiever at all. Well, that was the system. <laughs> yeah. That was just me going through yes, the system. exactly. Um, just different, different countries. Different, different yeah, yeah. Completely different ways of looking at things. So how did I switch from science to art? Let's see. I wanted to... I, I very much loved math. That was like my kind of the... Before I discovered physics, like first through fourth grade, I loved math. And then after physics... 
well, as I got a little bit older, I was like, well, I don't really want to work in the applied world because physics is very much about real world applications and yeah. real world solutions, which I am fascinated with. But I was like, oh, I really want to be on the theoretical side of things. And so what I used to do like in high school is I, uh, I tried to solve all the unsolved math problems of the world. Of course you did. As I could barely solve a word problem and you're solving the unknown like answers to life. Okay. So I didn't yeah. solve any of them, but that's what I wanted to do. I basically wanted to, um, <clears throat> kind of work in, I guess, essentially theory and, um, mathematics is very much about looking, uh, concepts and systems yeah. and about cracking systems and about looking at things from outside of itself and there are actually also many different kinds of mathematics so <clears throat> when I was basically at university level I ended up kind of veering a lot into philosophy actually which at the time I really didn't understand but in retrospect there's <laughs> it's kind of almost a clear transition isn't it funny when you look back it, it totally it's like me that totally made sense but like in the moment it was kind of like oh yeah I'm just doing this Right, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was like, wait, why am I not taking more math courses? Why am I, like, doing philosophy? Which, you know, when you start doing philosophy, it, uh, well, you have to go through a lot of history. Anyway, it's, it's a whole, <laughs> that would be a whole sidetrack. So when I was also at university, I kind of had this very horrible epiphany. And I was like, oh, my God, I actually don't want to be locked up in the annals of the academia for the rest of my life. <laughs> Just solving unsolved equations yeah unsolved equations <laughs> and we uh, get a call Viviana <laughs> so, so uh, and, and at some point I went to New York I think it was my um, was in my during spring break at Brown my second year <clears throat> I went to New York and I fell in love of and course like three months later I moved to New York with zero plan <laughs> zero friends and zero money and um, wait so you just kind of stopped what you were doing. Well, I just... was already on my way out. I, I knew after my freshman year that I was not in a good place and that what I was doing no longer made sense to me. And but uh, it's still a huge risk. You it's a huge risk, yeah. And, and um, moved to New York. But then my second year, things were kind of going even worse. And what happened so, sort of simultaneously is I bought my first photo camera when I was a Wait, what was it? Uh, it was a Konica. This is the early days of eBay. I ordered a Konica from Japan and a whole bunch of different lenses. And oh, I just awesome. sort of went mad. And uh, Brown <clears throat> has a partnership with RISD, Rhode Island School of Design. They're literally down the hill from us. Yeah. And very few people can take an advantage of it because the academic system is very different structured. You have like one class will meet multiple times a week for short periods of time, whereas in an art institution you have long studio classes some of which are the entire day but usually like half a day and they usually meet once a week so like the schedules are so radically opposite that usually people can't take advantage yeah. of it but when I fell in love with photo I was like well I want to be able to develop my own film this is I think still totally pre-digital I don't think there were any digital cameras at least on the consumer market Yeah. so I was like well I want to be able to develop my own stuff and print it so I ended up taking my first classes at RISD actually That's awesome um, which was kind of hard. Oh my God, of course. It's like one of the top art schools in the country. Well, not only that. <laughs> well, this is, so one of, there was one other kid in, in the classes with me who was also from Brown and it just happened to be that it was like the department head of photography teaching what? the class. And she was really meticulous and she kind of hated us actually because we were both just like, we just want to have fun and do photo because we're like on like an academic track. Yeah, yeah. And all of these other kids in the class are like on an artist track and you know, had all their basics in 
composition and color and everything else and yeah so we were like the odd ones out <laughs> and I just remember it being very difficult but I still loved it so yeah so I came to New York it's just one of those insane things you do when you're younger yeah you have no plan and you take a huge risk that like the rest of your family's like what are you doing this is yeah. totally insane you're just like oh it'll be just fine and then you end up living in a campground in Jersey for like three months yeah <laughs> wait did you ever live in a campground in Jersey yeah where uh, I don't even remember. I just remember <laughs> there was like we were literally in a tent, so I dragged my girlfriend along with me. <laughs> this is also one of those things. We we were two dogs, dogs, two dogs in a campground uh, in Jersey, and I, I was like, okay, well, I need a job, so I lined up a job, and this is the dot com boom. So it was great. I had a job before I came to New York. I thought I was set. What I didn't realize is how difficult the housing situation is in New York. Oh yeah. yeah. So it took us literally like. Like three months to find a place to live and the way we found it this is a great new york story we tried everything everything and uh <clears throat> couldn't bloody get an apartment and then <laughs> literally um my ex was a smoker and uh, we were like walking down i think it might have been lower east side or chinatown oh, and this one guy these two guys stopped us to light a cigarette and we started a conversation with them, and it happened that they had an extra apartment on the Lower East Side. Of course they do. Of yeah. course. And they were like, yeah, you guys can move in with your two dogs. It's totally fine. So that's how we eventually that's found an awesome. apartment. And a great yeah. neighborhood. Like, Well, back then, there was nothing there. It was uh-huh. totally Spanish. There was one bagel shop at that time. Get out of here. Like, like yuppie bagel shop. And then, obviously, on the south side of Delancey, you had the real bagel yeah, shops. Yeah, yeah. So most of those are actually gone now. Because I still like to, like, bike through there, and it's, it's totally different. But Meow Mix was there back then. This is, like, this is 1999. Okay. So that was the only other, that was, like, the overspill from the East Village. Yeah. And, um, and, yeah, it was, like, tiny-ass apartment. Of course. Ground that's floor, how you do it. Dark windows. Yep. <laughs> First apartment I lived in in New York was a six-floor walk-up. It was with a roommate. No living room. The kitchen... The kitchen, like, refrigerator door hit the bathroom door. Oh, my God. You know what I mean? But it's like, who cares? I'm living in New York. Like, I'm right, doing yeah. big things. I'm in grad school. Like, the people are like, I don't understand you're paying what for this apartment? And there's oh, no yeah. room. And I'm like, but we're in New York. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's totally insane. <laughs> yeah, that's how you start. So, so the photography at RISD inspired you to move to New York and do more photography no not at all Uh, so when I lost my science direction I literally like lost my direction in life so okay so when I quit tennis I, I quit also specifically so that I could focus on my academic studies because I actually would go for long stretches of time between immigration and training as a you know aspiring pro uh with not going to school which really bothered me so I was like I'm out and I'm just doing the academic thing. So then I worked for, like, long years, like, doing, like, zero periods, after-school periods. I was taking college classes when I was in high school, like, all of this shit. And I, so I got myself to where I wanted to be, and then I quit. So all of a sudden, like, this entire foundation that you had built for yourself, is gone. you yourself removed, and there's nothing left. And I actually kind of panicked. I was like... Well, yeah, what do you mean? But you kind of panicked. Like, yeah, I was like, what am I doing with my life? Because there has always been some sort of a goal to yep. aspire to, whether yeah, it was structure. a goal of someone yeah. else or my own goal. Yeah. But there was always, like, a thing to look forward to on the horizon, and 
something to work towards. And all of a sudden, I was just kind of like aimless and not doing anything. And it was like, it took a while to hit. But when it hit and I realized that I was just like not doing anything, I was like, oh, my God, I'm I'm going to get old soon. And <laughs> my life will have come by. Anyway, so, so, it, so I was like, okay. What am I going to do? And, you know, I didn't have an answer for the longest time. Yeah. And um, I had a really hard time the first two years in New York. So this is actually my third time in New York. I left after the first two years. I lived in Italy for about a year. And during that course, when I continued to kind of do nothing and just, like, try to figure stuff out, I was like, okay, well, you really have to rush. You have to figure this out fast. Yeah. And you can't rush these things. Yeah, <laughs> And I exactly. didn't do that at the time. So, but, but I still put this pressure on myself. And I was like, all right. So finally, I asked myself this question. What is the one thing that actually has inspired you for a long time because I tried a lot of things in my life I bought nunchucks at one point like I've tried a lot of different things so I uh and I have a lot of different interests so you know it's not that easy it's not like I have one thing that I like and I guess that's also why my art practice is so varied. exactly that's why I do so many different things so I was like that's what's so great well yeah it's it's a good thing so I was like, all right, well, I guess photography is the only thing I've actually been dreaming and thinking about and enjoying doing for, like, as long as I've been doing it, which only was a couple of years yeah. at that time. But I was like, okay, well, I guess this is it. And I totally it was a shot in the dark. And I could have gone anywhere after Italy. I was like, well, should I go back home to check? Should I go to California? Should I go somewhere else? Yeah. I was like, no, I want to go back to New York. Of Even course. I had such a difficult time here of the course. first two years. Cause it, no, you know why? You just want to come back here and, like succeed like way beyond ever I don't know that's what I feel like like everyone that comes to New York we just have these goals in mind and we just want to keep going keep going keep going whereas like other parts of the world or cities it's not like that like we're such go-getters and like we have everything at our fingertips we're just trying to climb that mountain I don't know yes I would say that has been the psychology more under under the third time in New York Mm -hmm. the second time it was not so much it was um I still love New York you know the initial whatever it was the initial energy and dynamic because you can smell that as soon as you like get into the city the pace is crazy it's filthy you can't get across the street because there are just people sandwiched like sardines in a can everywhere it's there is something highly infectious about that and it's um, also like inspirational and and some people really like that energy and some people hate that energy. Now, I can also get down with the outdoors. Like, I love yeah. the outdoors and, like, the quiet. But I also apparently love... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. That's city. exactly what you mean. Because you, you could be anywhere, right? And then you're, like, thinking about, like, the hustle bustle. You're like, oh, I just want to go back to New York. And I'm like, I want to come back to this filthy city with people that are, like, pushing you. And everyone's, like, angry. But it's like, there's something so inspirational and it's so eclectic. Like, What? Well, it's a, it's an amazing place to live. There are yeah. people from there are literally people from every country in the world. Yeah. I am positive that every language on this planet is represented here. Yeah. In fact, there are even two languages that no longer exist in their native countries, somehow surviving somewhere in the depths of Queens. Like <laughs> this place is really, really. I just read that somewhere like a few months ago. It's it's really, really interesting. I mean, just riding the New York subway is like a study in anthropology. Yeah, it's so true. And and ethnography, like, where are these people from? What's yeah. their story? Um, there is just so much going on, and it's fascinating. And you really can't be at the cutting edge of anything. Like, for an artist, like, the amount of museums and galleries yeah. and design and everything else, film, presentations, performance, there's, like, there's and always something of music, happening. how many people, like, it, 
you know, there's like, I used to follow a lot, I still do follow a lot of European bands, and quite often when they're smaller, they won't do a United States tour because usually, you know, like certain bands have an audience in the States, some bands have an audience in Europe, but not necessarily both. Yeah. But if they do make it to the States, they will hit New York and LA. Usually. Yeah. And definitely New York if you're coming from Europe because it's closer. Yeah. So there's just so much information that comes through yeah. so many places here. And that is, like, amazing. And maybe that also has to do with me growing up under lockdown communist country. Yeah. <laughs> and then the, this, is, this is like the floodgates open, like, burst open. You know, this is, like, completely the antithesis to that because we literally had two TV channels when I was growing up and they all ended at like 10 p.m. So when you turn the TV, like I was a horrible insomniac. So when you turn the TV on, like after 11 or whatever, it was just this like color bar with this for like eight hours. Really? But I lived in the southeast part of the country, which is like right on the border with Austria. Oh my God. Did you like hack it? No, so this is still the age of antennas, and I would be there in the middle of the night getting this, like, really wonky signal of whatever, uh, what what the heck was that station? They had, like, four or five stations in Austria, and, like, one or two of them would, like, stream through the night, and they would sometimes have this uh, music show called Burlitzer that would, like, come on in the middle of the night, and I would be there, like, stretching a microphone across the living room trying to record songs I wouldn't get on the chick radio. Yeah, like, all kinds of silly things. So, (laughs) so New York is totally the opposite. You can, like, walk down the street and pretty much get everything. I know. Anywhere. Like, you can go to Jamaica and have, like, a record store that brings you every. You know, Jamaica Queens and brings you absolutely everything in terms of reggae I'm not even like a reggae follower yeah. but like you, if that's your thing yeah. you can go and do that so yeah New York highly addicting anyway <laughs> I came back took a shot in the dark and uh, but it's but I highly advise if you come to New York or another super crazy city have at least a little bit of a plan it worked for me much better when I came back the second time. Like, the fact that I was like, okay, I'm going to do photography and this is, I'm going to New York because it also happens to be, like, an art center. I instantly got involved in the art scene and I've never looked back. But, how, like, how did you do it? Like, you just started doing work, meeting people, like... Well, I bought, I think at the time, I bought a digital camera. I was already, like, the early wave of, like, some crappy, affordable digital cameras. And I ended up shooting a lot of dance. I'm not quite sure why, but I've always been visually interested in dance, and particularly Buto. And I answered an ad for a gallery assistant, and I ended up going to, uh, well, the, the address was like 47 Broadway, so I show up downtown Manhattan, only to find out that it was Broadway in Williamsburg. So this what? is like the early days of the Williamsburg scene. <gasps> so I ended up uh, getting involved in this gallery called Dollhouse Gallery that specialized in a lot of installation work. Actually, they had some really fantastic uh, shows there. And uh, and through them, you know, your community kind of grows. You meet the artists and other people and, like, supporters of the gallery. And and then it just, you kind of, it grows. And then you, like, start getting invited to shows. And, you know, it just, it, it sort of grew organically. You kind of learn. And then I ended up working for another gallery. I ended up working for Black and White that has actually gone on to become a very successful commercial gallery. They have a space in Chelsea and I think in the Hamptons now as well. So you kind of learn things and pick up things. But I wasn't even thinking like in commercial terms at the time. I was still kind of maybe young and naive. And I was just happy that I found something that like gave me a little bit more of a direction in life. So I just, uh, I shot a lot and did my own thing. And 
I don't know, made some sculptures and collages. And then the gallery director at Dollhouse was like, why don't you go to art school? And I was like, you're like, what? <laughs> I was like, girl, I've had so much education in my life. I don't think I want to go to art school. And she's like, yeah, but art school is very different. It and, is. and then it is. And I was it, remembering my days at RISD and I was like, it was very different. So I thought about it and I, uh, silly me, consulted it with my mother, who, of course, was very distraught that I didn't have a piece of paper saying I have a degree. So she fully supported the idea. <laughs> so, really? so, well, that's interesting to me, too, because I find that a lot of parents are negative around when people want to study art. Yeah, I think it would definitely would not have been... The first choice or something. Definitely but, yeah. not, but... Um, but it's great that she supported you. I mean, my parents supported me in my design career, but, like, they, you know, one day I came home, and I'm like, I'm going to go to design school, and I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, it just came out of nowhere. Yeah, so, it's like shooting yourself in the Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, when you're younger, you're like, oh, I don't care, I have my idealism and this and that, and the, all those uh, notions possibly get a little weaker the older you get and real world problems yeah topple on but one must persevere yeah so I, I went to I ended up going to Pratt and that was awesome I wanted to stay in New York so I was only looking at schools in New York yeah and um and it was I mean I guess I'm pretty impulsive I went to the Pratt campus and I was like this is amazing I love this place so this is the place that's the only place in Brooklyn to. right it is yeah. in Brooklyn yeah. yeah it's a really old campus and it's a very out of all the different art programs in New York it's probably the most fine art oriented Cooper Union also yeah. is very fine art oriented but they didn't have a strong photography program they're more like traditional media yeah. like printmaking painting yeah. sculpture Whereas Pratt had more of the new media, like we also had a very solid film department and animation, and yeah. I ended up doing some of that. And um, of course you did. Of course that was everything. Well, I didn't, know. <laughs> At time, I didn't know I was going to end up doing that, but then no. But that's what's the exciting part. But that's the exciting part about going to art school. You actually, or any school, I guess. You, yeah. You go and you find new things, and and there is uh, there's something about in the art world where it's almost like two polar polar opposites to like uh, an artist working artist methodology like one on the one hand you have people who like work in one discipline or one genre forever mm-hmm. and become experts at it yeah and like maybe even break new ground within it and then you have sort of the other side which is a little bit more of a jack of the trade which yeah. i definitely <laughs> fall into yeah and give myself a hard time about it yeah <clears throat> right but so see, we can relate on that 100 <laughs> <laughs> percent. but there is something about working in all these different medias or even within photography like i don't even shoot the same kind of camera i've tried so many different cameras like almost every project has been shot on a different kind of medium and has had a different kind of presentation. And, and I often think about that because it doesn't, my work doesn't have like a consistent universal look, which makes it a little hard in terms of like marketing or everything yeah. else. But in but terms of self-development, yeah. I think it's very kind of key because all of these different working methods kind of influence the way you think. And I think it makes your, uh, it broadens your horizons. It exposes you, like when you have to adjust to different things, it forces you to think in different ways. So then even when you go back to, let's say, camera one, you already look at it in different ways. And, and there is definitely... It's, it's all about an internal dialogue, yeah. really. And everything else is just the external presentation. So when you were at Pratt, did you feel like... Well, at least for me, when I was in grad school, I mean, it was like the best and worst experience of my life. Like, <laughs> it was... 
incredible. Like the professors, the connections that I made there, just like one day I'd be like in a wood shop making like using a freaking chainsaw or something, you know? And like the next day I'm like doing UX design for a mobile app. I'm like, (laughs) what is going on? But it was like, it was so great for like my brain to be like, like you were saying just now about like being in all these different facets. But did you find like the relationships that you've made at the school, whether it was with the professors or your classmates was something that was also a huge part of the experience? Absolutely. Um, I would say most of my friends in New York are actually all friends from art school. Yeah. Vast majority. Because those are the most awesome people. Yeah. I mean, I have been trying to break outside of that, but it's actually, you know, how difficult it is in New York to actually break outside of your circle of friends. And I think uh, now I have found, like, I started to venture into different uh, groups of people through work. But, yeah, absolutely. And and I have made some lasting relationships with some of my professors and definitely a lot of influences. I mean, they have, you know, they're older. They have more experience. The things you say, there are certain things that I have been told in school that I still reference today. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're working on a project, just, um, and it tends to be all like personal psychology kind of related work. It's not, well, if you have this kind of composition, you must always go to the quadrant. No, it's not like that at all. And, uh, in fact, I would say Pratt was amazing also for me because it was, uh, it's very much a school that taught, uh, or creates independent artists. Like they are very much about you as an artist who can, function on their own and think on their own so it's not but then when you go into the real world you have almost no real world skills of how to like exist within like a gallery system or a commercial system but but you so you think outside of the box and brown was very similar in that way too like compared to harvard i would say harvard was much more kind of regimented yeah kind of like i could see that a leads to b and b leads to c whereas brown was like Take whatever you want. Learn as much as you want about the world, but question everything. And yeah. Pratt had a very similar approach to that, too. It was very... Um, so I kind of... I actually found schools that were... or Well, I don't know if it's the chicken or the egg, you know? Like, yeah. Did they influence me a lot, or did I already have a lot of those tendencies, and they just kind of enhanced it? Yeah. There is definitely a dual relationship, but I was happy at both of those schools. Um, and Yeah. Do you want to talk about um, maybe about some new projects that you're currently working on or your involvement? How about that? Let, let's talk a little bit about some of the projects you're working on. And then you can tell me a little bit more about Pickled Press and also the Photophobia. Because I feel like those could open big doors. So. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's going to be a big one. Um, there are always too many projects. I'm always trying to reduce it to one. So I'll start with the smaller. Um, let's see. There are two photo projects right now that have been all postponed because of photophobia. Um, They're both long-term projects. I'm also (laughs) doing some set design for a a play that's going to be at Governor's Island at the end of the summer. It's called The Enchanted Reality of Renee Magritte, put on by um, the Exquisite Corpse Company. Oh, wait, the artist? Renee Magritte, the photographer, Magritte. Well, the artist, yeah, but they're doing... They're writing a custom play, ah. and so I'll be involved in some of the set and possibly projection design. Cool. I'm trying to push them into some projections. They're trying to go a little bit more tactile. So that's one of the things that's in the immediate term. Um, I have a small book of drawings that I need to find the time to actually, like, it's finished. I just need to actually put it together and put it out. And there is also a dance film that I'm working on with a, another friend of mine. We've been brainstorming about it for about a year, but <clears throat> we just need to actually, like, 
I think we're at the point where we're looking for residencies where we can just go for like two weeks and actually like do it. Because it's not a terribly big project. We can do it in a short amount of time, but her schedule is insane. My schedule is insane. We just can't find like... Yeah. In three hours at a time, you know, by the time you settle in, three hours is nothing. Yeah. You actually want like a couple of full days to have that continuity of development. So the biggest things have been... So Pickled Press is my publishing company. I started it a couple of years ago, maybe 2009 or so. I think I was still living upstate. Definitely, I was still living upstate. And um, one of the things that I like to think about in my in my work is I'm a very tactile person. So when I go to galleries and especially museums, you can't touch anything. Oh, yeah, I know. It's so annoying. And Do not touch. I'm like, as you want to just right, grab you, it, you, or like, what material was this made out of? Or yeah. Yeah. yeah, and uh, so when I do my work, I try to break that barrier in some way. And it's not its not so much... So you could say it's about audience interaction, but in my case, it's less about making the audience a participant. It's much more about just allowing them to bridge that, that barrier that has kind of been established. And books are <clears throat> one excellent way of doing that. It's also... And I think one of the original <clears throat> thoughts be- behind creating Pickled Press was, you know, you create all of this work and you just end up, like, storing it in your flat files. And I was like, how can I make it something that's a little bit more affordable, faster to disseminate? And uh, and I've always loved books. I mean, I've spent a lot of time in, time in libraries and, like, magazine stores also. New York is great for that. I've yeah. got some really amazing stuff from all over the world that's just, like, made out of materials that don't even make sense for a magazine. Anyway, so Pickled Press has sort of been the thing for exploring the book form and me pushing boundaries within that. And then Photophobia is a book series published by Pickled Press, and we're very close to releasing book three. (laughs) I've been literally working on this thing nonstop for over a year. And uh, so far, we've been doing one book a year. Was was 2016 now, right? So (laughs) 2015 was Photophobia too. And uh, 14 was 2000, I uh, was Photophobia 1. And um, it's it's the biggest project right now, so there are a lot of people involved in it. Um, we have a 3D designer, 2D designer, we have a sculptor who's going to cast. I mean, we're, like, doing all, so, so much crazy stuff. It's like, we're when doing... When do you sleep? Uh, <laughs> sleep is very important, and I do sleep. <laughs> I learned the hard way, I have to sleep. So there's just a point in the day when I'm like, I'm going to bed, and actually, the world is going to keep spinning if I don't finish this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I feel you on all that. I'm like 100% alive with you right now. Like, uh, you know, nothing's going to change when I wake up. Yeah. We'll all still be, be here. There. So, But the last few months have definitely been I wake up, and I'm already behind. And that's yeah. a really terrifying feeling. So I'm kind of really looking forward to doing the big push for the next three months, finishing up the book. And doing the launch, and then <clears throat> then I have to kind of restructure everything. Um, just give myself a little bit more time. So what do <laughs> you actually do to rejuvenate? Like, and how do you stay inspired? Um, I use sports, actually, a lot to kind of get rid of some of the negative energy out. Um, I bike, like, everywhere in New York. Um, so that's pretty much a daily routine for me. I also do yoga, which has been fantastic for me. I started doing it to offset a lot of my um, sports injuries, but I also found a great kind of internal working for it because it's partially almost like meditation or there's a meditative element to it. Yeah. Uh, So personal growth and just giving yourself time, like that quiet time has actually been like 
Because biking is not necessarily about that. But in yoga, I can find that. And it's actually been really great to just, like, make yourself still in this crazy world of, especially in New York, where you're constantly being pulled and shoved and yeah. yelled at and, you know, subway going... Tum, 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 tum. So... Wait, uh, do that again? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so that has been... So that's that. As far as inspiration, wow, I get so much inspiration from so many different places. There, I would divide it into two kind of broad categories. One is internal, comes from you, and you just have a lot of ideas. And a lot of classical composers would talk about divine inspiration. Uh-huh. And I don't believe in God, so for me it's not about divine inspiration. But there's this almost like a controlled flight of ideas you get on the inside. You have, you know, you just constantly get ideas. And I actually started becoming very methodical with my notebooks. And so I write everything down. And which is great because then I can reference it. Yeah, you have an archive essentially. <clears throat> and you have an archive. And it's also one way to kind of like flush the system because if you don't do anything with it, it just becomes this yeah, clutter in the clear, hard drive. 100%. And, and then yep. it doesn't work properly. So that's, that's one way that you, there's always constantly. I mean, I have been, I guess, very lucky. I constantly have ideas. Some are very silly, some are totally useless. Some seem to be pretty good. <laughs> yeah. So, but there's always ideas and you can also merge them together, interconnect them, maybe bring some other people into it. Like there's so many different things you can do with it. So internal is one. And as far as external, I mean, the real world is a huge inspiration to me. The science interest has never left. I mean, yeah. I am a huge fan of the natural world. So I'm like a hobbyist ornithologist and like entomology and all of this stuff. So I, I, I follow a fair amount of like science developments. And I also love film and poetry as inspiration sources. I mean, I don't go see stuff as inspiration. Yeah. But I, I have found it that over the years, I think I get more influenced by what I find in film, especially more abstract work and experimental work and in poetry. Because they're both kind of abstract ways of thinking. You can have narrative in both forms, in poetry and in film. So there's like content you're trying to communicate. But... You, you can present it in very abstract terms. It's almost yeah. like music in that sense, that it's not literal. When I speak of film, I'm specifically referring to, like, Maya Deren's work or Paradianov, like, one of my favorite filmmakers of all time. I mean, his films are, like, visual poetry, really. He, it's not like your standard script writing, kind of Shakespearean derivative of heavy dialogue and some acting thrown into it. It's much more about, almost like Peter Greenaway, like, very heavy visuals, sets, costumes cuts and more about just suggestions through movement. Maya Dern does a lot of that too, just suggestions through movement. And I guess this is where a lot of dance influence comes in too. Because you're using your body as an expressive means. um, And then you you find connections within that that are not explicit, but suggestive. So what would be your dream project or person to work with? A dream person to work with. Yeah, or a project, or, like, some type of project that you would love to, like, eventually do or be a part of, or... Well... Yeah, I know. This, is, this, right. this isn't an easy I question have, at all. No, no, no. I have an answer for that one, actually, very easily. I have always wanted to go to outer space, so... Outer space? Well, <laughs> so anything to do with off-Earth would be amazing. Or, like, with NASA, if you could cool. do some sort of... Because they actually do NASA... When they spend so much money to send anything out, they have embedded visual communication as well as like, like they try to communicate with possible extraterrestrial or whatever. Yeah. Um, 
and the, I think they employ different variety of different people. I think even musicians and mathematicians and a lot of different things. But so as a dream, total pipeline. Yeah, or something, yeah. Yeah, I would totally love to be involved in something like that. Like, how do you? Because I spend actually a lot of time thinking about a lot of what I do or how I've been thinking about it lately is a language, visual language, and basically an act of translation. And there's sort of two acts of translation. One is from the internal to the actual manifestation, and then there's the other one where. What you're trying to communicate is how do you actually communicate it to other people, right? Because you're trying to figure out who your audience is, which part of that audience you actually want to talk to. Is it all of it or just a segment of it? And what you're trying to say and does it make sense to them? Yeah. Right? Because it may make sense to me, but it may not necessarily make sense to you. Yeah. So then how do you make the third leap, which is how do you try to communicate with someone who you don't even know who that is? Because off planet, it could be anything, right? And so, and so how do you reduce then your content into super simple symbolism? Because that's essentially what you're dealing with is a lot of symbolism and reduction methods. And my, these questions would totally not be something I could have even grappled with. Yeah. 15 years ago or 10, I guess 10. Yeah. But now I've so gotten a little yeah. better. And you, you can start to manipulate things. You can start to, like, push and pull in different directions. You're like, well, I want to take the emotion a little out and want to be a little bit more direct with this, and then I'll pull back on this. Like, you, it's starting to... You can almost, like, start to orchestrate things. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. It, no, it's really interesting. Do you... So we talked um, a little bit about your um, the curator perspective of the work, whether it's the relationship to making the work the relationship to the material, the relationship to the subject in the daily practice. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Uh, sure, yeah. Um, does either one of those interest you more than the other? To me, the material was really interesting to me because, I, again, I'm very tactile as well. Oh, okay. And I, um, I actually recently went to this um, material. Like, I'll find out the exact name of it for you after the show because I can't remember right now. But it was in New York, and basically it's, like, this place. It's, a, like, a uh, library of materials for, like, it could be plastics, fabrics, buttons. Like, you name it, all just different materials broken down by their, like, scientific compounds and, like, what you would use them for for design Ooh. purposes. Oh, yes, you must get me that name. Yes, so I'll get you that information. But, so for me, though, just... I like physical things. Like, even though I work in a digital space, I still like holding a book and reading it. I mm-hmm. like interacting. I just like making with my hands. So, to me, I'm most interested in sort of the relationship to the material aspect. Well, it's funny you say that. A material is actually one of the biggest components of what I do. Because I'm also very tactile. And because of space restrictions in the city, I'm constantly like, I should get rid of my studio and just work virtually. And a lot of photographers do that. And I was just like, I'm not that person. I can't do that. I love to make stuff. Like, one of my side blows in the studio right now is making 10-foot murals. Of course it is. <laughs> because, of course, 10-foot murals is a side project. <laughs> no, it's just like, yeah. blah, I just got to do it. Um, but that was also one of the key things why I ended up in the arts, because I can't sit still. And I, it's it's important for me to kind of just make things. We are so similar. It's kind of creepy. Yeah. Like, in terms of, like, <laughs> the like, um, process and the way of, like, not being able to sit still and, like, even, like... I was inspired um, to get into design from photography. So it's interesting, oh, interesting. how photography sort of played like a role in like our future direction. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it's kind of, it's very interesting to me. Oh, cool. Yeah. So like, we got the collab on some type of project. Sounds good. Yeah. Well, this is a good beginning. Yes. 
Well, photography is a really versatile media. You can definitely have more of a design kind of an approach to it, and you can have a kind of more narrative tonal approach. Yeah. It just it does the spectrum, and I think a lot of people get inspired by it. There's also something about the media that because it's like the most easily disseminated art form. Yeah. It's the most approachable, and there's something really fascinating about that, too. Uh, in terms of materials, let's see. Um, I love natural materials. I, well, I'm very much connected to the natural world, so I like things that come from the natural world. So I love paper. One of the reasons I actually do all my photography printing, and I love also printmaking. I love working with paper. Uh, I love wood also. That's one of my other love affairs. And um, so I like to combine the two. Also rope. I've worked a lot with rope. It's interesting. Mainly in installations, sort of. It's a versatile material, easily renewable. <clears throat> you can also recycle a lot of these materials. Like most of the wood I've used is actually already recycled. Like I don't mostly purchase new. So, um, so found objects. But I also like metal and I like industrial materials. And I haven't, hadn't really worked with industrial materials much in the past, but this new Photophobia book has actually really started to engage that. Form following function. I used to have a miniature greyhound. Side story. This dog was absolutely amazing. And uh, I would just watch this kid run. And ev everything just made sense. His oversized chest and his tiny-ass little belly, <laughs> and then the huge thighs, relatively huge thighs in the back, and the skinny, long front legs, and the tail for coordination, and, like, just the sleek design of his body. Like, he was beautiful. I mean, I thought that his body design was beautiful, but it also was specifically for the function of speed. Mm -hmm. Everything about that machine was built for speed, and I am fascinated with form-following function. And that's, so that's nature's way of designing form following function. Yeah. I think industrial materials are like a human-made way of uh, finding a solution to a problem. So I, I don't I'm not necessarily interested in plastics. I actually kind of hate the whole uh, petroleum industry. Also, recycled plastics I'm much more interested in. in but, uh, so, but we're working with rubber for photophobia. For the, uh, we're doing like a 3D cover. We're trying to figure out right now if it's going to be a 3D printed CNC machined or we've done some tests with laser cutting. Uh, and then we have a sculptor who's making molds that we're then going to cast um, the series, the cool. special edition series. So rubber is actually a natural material, partially, but I think the rubber we're actually using is like a, a sculpting, like a synthetic uh, blend. And yeah, we're working with, like I, like I said, we're doing like CNC and 3D. So it's like it's kind of like tapping into all of these industrial methods that you generally in the fine arts don't, especially yeah. when you work in your own studio. Like, it's like it's a very specific application. So it's kind of cool to work on a project that's allowing me to do that. So materials is definitely a big one for me, and it tends to be natural. Where do you see your career going? Sort of like, I hate I hate asking this question because the next five years, but just in general, like, where do you see like your goals, or where do you want to like? get to or growth like what things are you excited about doing next oh my god the project list is so long <laughs> <laughs> all right well a few of them a few or one like a little sneak peek uh five years is kind of a difficult one yeah um man i there's ideas about where i would like to be in 10 or 20 or one or two but five is this like weird middle all right ground. one or two 
I mean, I think within five years, I would like to have released Photophobia 4 and 5. It's a good deadline. And there, each one is going to be totally different. different. There is already a plan for 4. 5 is a little bit of a question mark. Also, there is a tentative plan for that one, too. Very different from all the other ones. So there is that. Um, I would like to... I have the smaller projects I mentioned in the beginning. I hope to finish those within the next two years. I mean, they're actually big, but right now they're just waiting because Photophobia has been taking over absolutely everything. And... You know, the, when you have so many projects, I'm, you just kind of have to, like, find one and put a big push behind it. Because when you're, like, scatterbrained over a whole, whole bunch of different things, it's like, it either takes 20 years to finish everything or five or ten. Yeah. <laughs> Which kind of has been happening. But I think that also kind of goes back to solving these impossible equations. Because they're, like, long-term projects and there's a lot of thought development in my work. Um, and that also goes back to, like, this thing we are just talking about, like, your daily practice. Like, a lot of what I do on a daily basis is really not actually, unfortunately, being in the studio. Um, I probably get two or three days a week in the studio. Um, recent months, it hasn't even been that. Um, but I work daily on, like, project development, hence the notebooks. Like, they travel with me everywhere. And it's like, you know, yeah. I'll pull, pull over by the side of the road if I have an idea. And I'm like, okay, blah, 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 blah. So, you know what I always say? So I'll be in the shower and have ideas. And I'm always like, man, they really need to invent, like, a notebook they can be taking the shower. Apparently there is uh, one that exists. I'm what? like, oh, my God, I need to buy that now. Because, I, like, there's always just, like, stuff popping in my head. And my biggest fear is, like, if I don't write this down right now, it's just going to go away forever. Like, right. it's not going to come back. So it's like, I just stop whatever I'm doing. And I just need to, like, write it down. Like... I don't know. So you stop the sh- scrubbing in the shower? Literally, yes. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Like, there are every times I've literally, like, ran out of the shower to get a notepad because I was like, if I don't write this down. Because mm-hmm. you never know, like, when you're going to need that idea. Or one day, maybe I'll just be sitting here thinking about it. Like, oh, yeah, remember that day when I was in the shower and I thought to do, like, this? Like, this could be awesome for this project. Like, I don't know. I just feel like my mind's always bouncing around a little bit. Um, but that's what keeps everything so exciting. Well, sometimes also you develop the idea better once you start writing it down. Yeah. Because you start drawing it out. You're trying to find a way. You have this, like, totally ephemeris concept, and you're trying to put it on paper. And sometimes that would be, like, 10,000 words. So, like, yeah. you figure out all kinds of hieroglyphics that only you would understand. understand. And yeah. then, like, you start drawing it, and then in the process of drawing it and trying to put it in, like, two-dimensional or three-dimensional or time-based space... <laughs> yeah. you, you start developing it out and then you're like oh you see different relationships and it starts to become more visual in the tactile world and you start moving things around so yes notebooks are pretty fascinating yeah and i'm all for writing things. me too i still write things like even though you know like you can type something or whatever or you can now sketch on your ipad or iphone or whatever android device that you're using or any device for that matter it's like there's still something about having i always have some type of notebook on me at all times and something's dirty. It's just, like, something I always will have. Like, right. just a book, magazine, whatever, and a little notebook. Because I'm just, like, you never know, you have to write something down. That's true, yeah. I mean, I think some people work well with, like, within the digital environment. Yeah. A friend of mine actually has been really good about, like, just drawing on the subway on his iPhone, yeah. I think he has. But, yeah, I mean, whatever works yeah, for exactly. you. Yeah, exactly. Notebooks pro- work for me, yeah. yeah. But, you know, it's it's very much about that. And continuity. I guess that's the one way that I'm getting continuity, even though it's constantly being interrupted by work. Like yeah. Work for money. Work. Yeah. So that's like the one. And that's one of the most important things, actually, when you're working on projects. Yeah. And trying to bring them into a close is having that continuity. Absolutely. So it's finding different ways to find that within your schedule that works for you. Do you want to, I mean, we could talk, like, for the next three hours, clearly, Yay. or, like, days, you know, <laughs> like, 
Um, I keep saying this too. I'm like, I feel like we need to like have like round two with certain people because there's just like so much more to talk about. So, um, but, um, do you want to just tell the listeners, um, before we wrap up sort of a little bit about the Indiegogo campaign and then also if they want to find you, um, the best, you know, way they can find you. And of course, as I always do, I will link everything out. So it's easy for you guys to access. Okay, great. So let's see. You can find me, Bibiana, at my website, which is bibiana.com. It's B as a boy, I B I A N A dot C O. Uh, pickled Press is pickledpress.com. Pretty straightforward. The From there, you can link to Photophobia, which is accessivephotophobia.com. And not the easiest thing to remember. So that's why I'm saying just find Pickled Press. We're going to be running it. Uh, so Photophobia has become a NIFA, New York Foundation for the Arts, fiscally sponsored project, which is a really fantastic partnership. And I'm really glad that they chose us to do this. And um, so basically we get a nonprofit write-off through them for any donations towards the project. And we're fundraising now for the print and everything else budget to bring the book to close. So I think um, we're going to be running the campaign in about a week for, you know, the standard 30 days. So you'll be able to find it. There is a Facebook for Pickled Press. There is a Facebook Facebook for Bibiana. Uh, those are the most updated social media. There, are, I have other ones out there, but the, yeah. the Facebook ones are the ones. And um, you can also find us on the NIFA website. Awesome. Um, they have a section for the projects that they sponsor. It'd be great if people are interested in supporting us. It'd be fantastic. And donations are tax deductible. Oh yeah, that's great. Right? Yeah, awesome. that's the whole yeah. sponsorship thing. Yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome. Well, this has been really great. Thank you so much. Thank you for um, having me. It's been so great. Like, I'm, like, so ready. Great. I want to, like, make something now. Like, every time I end a podcast, I'm, like, ready to do something. Like, Wait, I'm, has like, it really been an hour? It's been about 51 minutes. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy how it flies by, right? Right, it is. Yeah. So, everyone that tuned into the live stream, thank you so much. We tried this out. Well, you know, I'd love to hear some feedback about, you know, if you liked it, anything about it. Um, so just email us at hello at nakedandinsideout.com. Some of you that are going to be hearing this episode will only be hearing it when it releases on July 1st. Um, so you won't have access to the live stream. But, you know, thank you always for tuning in. Go to nakedandinsideout.com. You can follow us on all sorts of social media there. Uh, in addition, if you guys are liking what you're hearing, please go to iTunes and rate us. That would be really helpful. And I don't know, just keep on listening. And I love hearing from you guys. And thanks for tuning in today. Um, Until next time. Bye. Bye.